0: So I'm so excited to be here with all of you this morning, as always, just excited to jump into the story uh, that is unfolding in God's Word. But i got to tell you, I am excited to be here because, in part, also, it is a reality that we get to gather here so that we would remember these awesome revelations that have been given us, right? Because we forget them, and then our lives get all tumultuous, and we start pursuing all sorts of stuff, and, and this is our opportunity to come together and say, man, let's, let's remember. And then the other reality is that when we leave this place, we walk into a world that's a giant mess. I mean, there's a lot of beauty in it, don't get me wrong, but it's messy out there, isn't it? And while we come and sit here, Uh, enjoying the freedom that God has revealed to us by His grace. Millions and millions of people in our nation and around the world wake up this morning and are still in a place where we've all been. We're chasing that, that, that thing like a rat in a cage to try to satisfy the soul or set up safety or be secure, something that will make them whole that they're waking up this morning to go chase after that. And we live lives that God has invited us to participate in the redemption of this planet and the stories of those people. So that is super exciting. That is why we believe here at Mosaic Church that we are not just here together so we can sing Kumbaya together, feel good about ourselves, say we went to church and go home. We are here to encounter the gospel, the reality of Christ, to encounter God, to be transformed by His encounter with our soul, and then to live on mission for Him, being redemptive and being world changers because we're invited to do that. We have shared with you guys last week the beginning of an initiative that we're stepping into as a church for 2016 and 17 to really dare to ask what would it look like for us to become louder than we already are. We want to get loud, and so we've invited you to participate in the endeavor, the initiative to get more loud. My, one of my kids asked me when I was driving this week, Dad, why are we calling it Get Loud? And I said, well, because we believe as a church that it is our privilege to participate in the story of God and, and to get loud as we demonstrate God's freedom to the world. And he kind of looked at me and I realized he was trying to calculate, does it mean we go to work and when we preach the gospel, we preach it more loudly? Like we actually increase our volume so that people will hear it more. And I said, you know, Uh, there's different ways to get loud. We can certainly get loud with our voice, but we can also get loud with our actions, with our life, and that's what we're talking about, getting loud with our lives so that the world will know freedom, the freedom we've already discovered, right? And as I shared about that, I talked about what that vision's going to look like, that we are going to equip you, the saints of God, by uh, continued gospel encounters in places like this, and then being equipped in missional communities and spaces where you're being discipled to go out into the world and actually change the world. In your workplace, in your neighborhood, uh, in in your social networks, uh, in our local community, and in the global community. We're going to equip you to do that, and then you and I are going to actually go out there and change the world And as the world shapes and changes, we are going to disciple more and more people into the freedom of following Jesus. We're going to reproduce the story, grow the story, and then they will be equipped to change the world on behalf of Christ. We're going to do that. And then I shared with you that that vision in its tangible form over two years, the actual outworkings of that are going to cost about $10 million over two years to fulfill that vision. And we all gasped for a second. And then we moved through what that was. If you missed that, go and podcast it. You'll hear what I was talking about. And then I said something strange, at least if you caught it. I think it it would have been strange, right? I said, I'm far more excited about what this is going to produce in the kingdom of God by our fearless generosity in the freedom we're going to experience and the way we're going to be able to impact the world When 100% of participants in a church are fearlessly generous, then I am about the $10 million either showing up or not showing up. In other words, your fearless generosity, what I'm curious about is what it produces in kingdom movement, not in dollars on the table. Now, you might sit here and go, oh, that was tricky tricky. That's a neat way of saying it. I mean, I know you just want the $10 million, but it's neat how you spin it to sound like it's more about us and our freedom and changing the world and makes us all want to give more. That is super cool. Don't know that I buy it, but it's well done. So what I want to do this morning is I want to show you that when I say that, I'm not saying that As some kind of brochure to try to convince you to give more and make you feel like it's actually better for you, I want to show you the purpose and power of generosity from a biblical standpoint and the extraordinary, wondrous nature of what generosity allows for us to be part of when we understand how God has invited us into this kind of life. So, it really begins in the very beginning, right, with the story of us as humanity, We were created by God in the Garden of Eden to live in right relationship with God without hindrance so that we would know His full freedom, His full life, and then we would live in that freedom displaying life and freedom to one another in community and to all of creation. So our created purpose was to enjoy God, to know God, and to make Him known. That's what we were made for. The enemy of God convinced us through Adam and Eve that if we pursued our own divinity, in other words, we imaged our own story, created our own destiny, worked at our own deal, became our own God, and didn't submit to God's way or God's authority, that that would be a better story for us. I mean, it sounds better, doesn't it? Under him or under you. I like me. And so we bought into that. We ate of the fruit. And instead of discovering divinity, we discovered sin and death. Sin and death came in just like God said it would, and it wreaked havoc on our internal lives and on the external world. Our souls died, and the world died, and we have been living ever since, chasing after things to try and fulfill this space that feels so empty to be safe, secure, and okay. And we pursue that. And God. Then, from the very beginning in Genesis, immediately began to reveal to us a rescue plan that he had in place to come and rescue our souls, redeem our future, and restore us to our created purpose. He immediately began saying, don't worry, though you abandoned me, I, through my great love, will not abandon you. Now, here's what's awesome. God decided in His infinite wisdom, instead of just affecting that plan, revealing that plan to us as a human race, uh, exclusive of our participation, He actually invited us to participate in the revelation of that extraordinary plan of rescue. I wouldn't have done that. If I were God, I'd have left you all out. I'd have left me out because I know how unpredictable we are and how crazy we are and how prone we are to all the things we ought not to be. And so why would you include humanity in the very essence of revealing God's rescue plan? I don't know. All I know is God is so good and so powerful that He knew that He could still accomplish His purpose of revealing His redemptive plan even though we're participating. And in doing so, we would get to experience the fullness of participating in the story of God, thus experiencing a bit of that restored purpose of making God known. So how does he do it? That's the big question, right? Well, he starts in the Old Testament and demonstrates his plan. He takes a people that are enslaved, in this case by another people. They cannot escape themselves. They are doomed to die He rescues them from their enslavement, so Israel is rescued from Egypt in the beautiful move where the Passover takes place. By God's supernatural work and his work alone, Israel is rescued from slavery. They go into the desert on their way to a redeemed story in a promised land, and in the desert, God supernaturally provides for them so they don't have to continue to chase after providing for themselves, right? He also gives them a new and radical way to live. He provides the law for them. He says, here's my way. Here's what righteousness looks like. Here's what freedom looks like. And he gives them the law. So he says, I rescue you. I protect you. I provide for you. I give you and invite you into a new radical way of living. I empower you with my presence. And then... I invite you to participate in the story by keeping yourself safe and by making the world uh, or making me known to the world. And here's what he does. Through that law, he invites them to a radical life. And in the law, he says to them the stuff that you have, that you needed to have to provide for yourself, that was yours. Now that I'm providing for you, that stuff and your life, both those things, are available to be able to participate in the redemptive story of God. So share your stuff with one another so that everyone in the community is provided for and share your stuff with the world so that the world knows what I do. And the way he sets that up is he says, the first 10% of everything you thought was yours that's actually mine, I want you to bring it to the table regularly to say, here, uh, this is reminding my soul that actually everything belongs to you and, and it's allowing me to participate in your provision for the community of God and for the world. Could God have provided for the community without us? Yes, but he allows us to be part of that provision so that the world, when they look in, go, oh my goodness, look at these people. Everything that we think we need to hold on to, they seem to let go of. The life we think we live for ourselves, they live for others. The stuff we thought was for us, they give to others. It's crazy. And then they will see God's provision. They will see our love for each other and they will know God. God. At the end of the Old Testament, the very last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, last prophet speaking, God's kind of sharing the last words to his people saying, guys, I'm going to remind you how you live your life in a way that engages you in my story and me in your story, right? And this is what he says. In Malachi, I'm going to turn there real quick. You're welcome to turn if you'd like. Malachi chapter 3 page 553 of the Bibles we provide. If you want to go there, Malachi chapter 3. Now, God starts this way. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I love that sentence. Here's what God just said, in case you missed it. Since my love does not change for you, I didn't burn you to death. That's what He just said. Since I don't change... I didn't wipe you off the map. Now, when somebody comes to you, like a parent, and says, since I love you, I'm not going to expel you from the house and cause you never to come home again, you generally go, I did something wrong, right? Because what the God is saying is, you've blown it. I should probably wipe you off the face of the planet, but because I have great love for you, I didn't. Now, look what he says. Look what he says. From the days of your father's you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. So he's saying, from the day we started this journey coming out of Egypt, you have constantly ignored my ways. You have constantly ignored the life that I've called you to live radically and the ways that I've given you to live. Return to me, he says, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? That's like my kids. I didn't do anything. I'm confused. What have I done? It was her. And so, I'm like, okay, now we've got to have a little conversation about what you actually did so we can talk about where you've gone wrong and how you can remedy this, okay? And look what God says. Will men rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you, God? In your tithes and contributions. Now, at first you may think what God is doing here is going, he's making this all about money. No, He's not, not at all, not in any way, because we haven't read on yet. Look what God's about to do. The power of this space where we are generous with our resources has tremendous implications in the story of God beyond simply the idea that God wants or needs our money, because He does not. Look at this. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So first he says, when you fulfill what I've invited you into, you participate in providing for the community of God and for the world. So bring your tithe so that there is provision in my house. Now you would think God is saying, you see, you provide for you. I don't actually, but look, he's not done. Look what he says here. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So what God's saying is, as you participate with your part, watch me participate with my part and see what happens. There will be such extraordinary reality when this happens as a combination that the world will not know what to do with it. Look, he even says it in verse 12, then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord. See, he doesn't say they'll call you blessed from the outside and go, ooh, you fly a Learjet. What they'll say is you will be a land of delight for them you will be something they long for because they will see in you something they cannot find. So you will become a land of delight and they will call you blessed because you are provided for through one another and by the supernatural intervention of God. That's the story, right? So God takes his people, rescues his people, provides for his people, protects his people, empowers his people with his presence, then calls his people into a radical life and radical generosity, and the combination of those two things produce an extraordinary vision to the world of God's redemptive story. How does it change in the New Testament? It doesn't. Here's how it goes. Jesus comes to planet earth. He lives, he dies, he rises from the dead. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says, I am going to empower you with my presence, the Spirit of God. I will be with you. I will send you into the world to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be ambassadors of redemption for me. You're going to participate in my story. He sends them out, empowers them with his presence, empowers them with his protection, empowers them with his provision, and then he says to them, now go live this story out. Do you know the first vision we get of the result of this incredible call of God is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And it says the community that was born out of Jesus saying, go to Jerusalem, you'll experience me, you'll become a community, I will call you out, and then you'll change the world, was this. They had everything in common, it says in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 and onward, they had everything in common, those who had sold what they had so that those who did not, uh, their needs were met to the point where there were no needs in the community and then it started spilling out into Jerusalem and it says through that community, thousands were added to them every day because people were like, what on earth? I want in on that. At the end of the book of Acts, Paul is hanging out with the elders in Ephesus. So Ephesus was a church where he hung out during his third missionary journey for over three years. These were dear friends of his, they were a church that were mature and awesome. He loved them. He wanted to hang out with them, but he was leaving to Rome and he knew he was not gonna return. The spirit of God had laid on his heart that he would die in Rome. So he's giving his farewell speech to the elders at Ephesus. This is now at the end of the book of Acts. So, the beginning of the book of Acts, we catch a vision of a community that's living radically and fearlessly generous and how that impacts the world. And now at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is telling the Ephesians, uh, the, the, uh, the elders in Ephesus I'm gonna leave and I'm not gonna return. And when you're gonna do that, you leave the people with what? The core issues, right? If I were leaving and I was not coming back, my last sermon I would preach here would not be on a random topic right? I would be picking the topic that I felt would be most applicable to leaving you with everything I hope you've learned so far so you could continue to live a life devoted to Christ and on mission for the kingdom of God. It would probably be a topic about devotion and mission. That's what it would be, right? So if Paul's going to give his farewell speech, what's he going to leave these guys with? As, as I leave and you go, live this way. Look what he does. Uh, let's turn to Acts chapter 20, right? Acts chapter 20, We're going to be in verse 32, page 642 of the Bibles that we provide. Page 642, uh, or Acts chapter 20, verse 32, if you're using a smart device or one of your Bibles that you brought. Here's what it says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are being sanctified. So the first thing Paul says is this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remind you, commend you, give you over to God and to the word of grace. What is the word of grace? It's an interesting thing, right? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. The word of grace that Jesus came, he died, he rose from the dead to rescue our souls, redeem our futures, restore our purpose. It's the whole deal. So he goes, I'm going to commend you to God and the word of grace that will, that will continue sanctifying you in your journey. Does it it surprise anyone that Paul started with the gospel? Doesn't surprise me. Okay, core issue. I'm leaving now. Here's what you need to remember. Never forget this. Don't forget the gospel. Okay, check. Got that. Paul, uh, super predictable, okay? Because we all know that is what's most important. Forget the gospel, forget everything. So he says, I commend you to God and to the gospel. Now, the second thing he says fascinates me. Of all the things in Scripture you could have picked, Of all the things you could have said, this is what's going to make you a people of God living on mission for the kingdom. Here's what he says. Here's what he says. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. That's the next sentence. Commend you to God in the gospel. I coveted no one's gold, silver, or apparel. What? Look why he says that. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. There's the farewell speech. The whole thing. There is no third point. Here it is. Remember the gospel. That will keep you on the journey and keep your eyes fixed in the right place. And remember to be fearlessly generous because that's what authenticates the gospel. I did it. You ought to do it. That's it. That's it. Live radically. Remember the gospel. Be fearlessly generous to authenticate the gospel. Now you say, hold on, hold on. I feel like you might be stretching that a bit. How do you know Paul meant that stuff? I mean, he talks about generosity clearly as a second point, but how do you know? Because Paul bothered to unpack this in other places as well. So turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. Paul here teaches on this, and he shows us here his attitude, his understanding as the Spirit of God inspires him of the power and purpose of generosity. Okay, take a look at this. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 now in verse 1, page 668 if you're using one of our Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1. He starts with an example demonstrating fearless generosity. Look what he says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. He's saying God was incredibly powerful in His grace in the churches of Macedonia. Why Why would he say that? For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have resulted in an overflow or overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. That's a very strange statement, isn't it? Here's what he just said. Listen now. During a time when the church in Macedonia faced great suffering And the floor fell out from under their feet and the economy crashed and nobody had anything and salaries were half what they were the week before and half the people were out of work, right? I mean, he gave this context. When they were in the middle of affliction and poverty, it overflowed in a wealth of generosity. What an odd thing to say. You would think he would say, for that reason, we had to slow down ministry, for that reason, we couldn't come to you. For that reason, so and so on and so forth. But he says, no, 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 no. It overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Why would he say out of their poverty, it overflowed in a wealth of generosity? Here's why. Because he's going to demonstrate to us what fearless generosity really is. He's not going to use numbers because the numbers are not what's relevant. What's relevant is what you're about to do with your particular circumstances. Watch. He says this. For they gave according to their means. That's where he starts. Now, what does it mean to give according to your means? If Paul was writing it, being who Paul is, he would be meaning they had a certain amount and they gave according to what they were able to give, probably based on the general standard that God says, you want to start somewhere, start with tithing, right? So we don't know if he meant 10% or not. We just know that he says, we looked at what they had and they definitely gave according to their means. In other words, they were faithful in their giving. Now, look what he says next. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. So he goes, not only did they give what I really feel they could have given, but they gave what I really feel they couldn't give of their own accord. And apparently, we don't know this, Paul probably told them, oh, you can't do that. Keep it. I mean, keep some for yourself. You guys are in affliction because look what he says they said next to Paul. Uh, they, they gave beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. The, literally, the church in Macedonia went like this. Please, Paul, don't tell us to keep what we need because we would rather share in the story of God in Jerusalem than have more stuff to take care of ourselves here because God will take care of us. That's what they told him. So please don't make us not give. That's what they were saying. Now, in that same exact passage, he gives us a clue into why the churches of Macedonia felt this way. In verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Right? So like, look, we're just following Jesus he's who we follow now. And so we would rather become poor for the sake of someone else's well-being than be well uh, at the cost of someone else's well-being. So Paul goes, these people demonstrated a wealth of generosity because they didn't look at their scenario and determine logically. They said, how do we get to be part of the story? Now, The rest of the passage, he continues to unpack principles of generosity, and then he concludes this passage in chapter 9, verse 6. We know he concludes it because he actually says it. Look, the point is this, Paul says. So you always know when he says that, this is the conclusion. The point of everything I just told you now is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. There's the verse. Now, let me just stop here for a second to undo something that's been done, okay? This verse and verses like this are often used in the church to convince you that if you give to God out of what you have, then God will give back to you what you gave and some and you will be blessed because he who sows sparingly will not get the promotion. He who sows sparingly will not get the bonus. He who sows sparingly will not get that next fill in the blank, right? But if you sow generously, then God will give you lots of stuff, okay? Let me just tell you something, okay? If you give to God Because someone's convinced you that if you do, God will give you the bonus, the job, the paycheck, or the whatever else, then you are not generous, you are manipulative. Just saying. You are not being generous, you're being manipulative because you're saying to God, I'll give you what you want because I know the pastor told me you'll give me what I want. And that's not generosity, that's manipulation, but it's not your fault. It's the fault of the church because the church convinced you of a bunch of junk that isn't true about Scripture. God does not say that. You will see in a second. I will unpack for you what he means by abundance, and it's not a bonus or a paycheck. When we play the videos and some person tithed for the first time in their life last week and then suddenly got the promotion they wanted or the bonus they wanted, that is manipulation trying to tell us something that isn't true because God's abundance is never the same as the abundance of the world. It is never what we are pursuing with the idols of our heart. It is never saying what you've always wanted to make yourself feel more secure, I'll give to you as soon as you give to me. God does not play these games. And so if you've ever believed that thought that or heard that, know that that is not true and do not give out of that because generosity is giving because you get to participate in the work of God and because He asked you, not because you're going to get something in return. However, we do get something in return, but it is exactly what God wants us to participate in. Take a look. Here's what it says. Each must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's the next verse. So look what he says. Give sparingly, reap sparingly. Give abundantly, reap abundantly. And then the very next thing he says is, now just give as God has told you. Not in some manipulative way to try to get what God wants you to do. Ask God what He wants you to give when He tells you, give it. Because God has you in a place with a set of resources for a purpose. And if you just ask Him what He wants you to do with them, He'll tell you. And then if you do it, not reluctantly or under obligation or compulsion, but cheerfully because He's invited you into His story, then that is going to be beautiful for you and awesome for the kingdom. And God loves that stuff. Now he's going to unpack the details of that. Okay, he's going to say, here's, here's how that works. Take a look. Look what he says. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. All grace is coming. What does that mean, all grace? Ooh, can't wait. This is going to be awesome. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound. Here it is. In every good work. Look, God did two things right there in one sentence. When you trust me with what is mine that I've given to you and you ask me what I want to do with it and you do what I tell you, I promise you that will remind you that I am your provision and I am able to abundantly provide for all sufficiency in all things at all times. Because truthfully, folks, just look in your heart. I look in mine and I actually believe my stuff is making me safe. I do. I wrestle with that, as do you. But God is trying to remind us, now that I've rescued your soul, I am your sufficiency. Do you trust me? When you obey cheerfully, trust me, you will remember that I am enough for you. And that is a safety for our souls. And in giving generously, not only will you be safe, but you will share in an abundance of good works. The one thing you can share in that doesn't get left behind on this planet of death is an abundance of good works. The rest of your stuff staying. When you die, you don't take it with you. They can bury it with you. Someone will dig it up. <laughs> and if you leave it for your kids, generally, if you have a lot, the first generation will squander it. So there you go. It'll take a generation or two, and everything you built will be gone if it's what you build. But an abundance of good works is a whole different ball game. And so he says, When you are generous, your soul will be guarded because you will be reminded that I am your sufficiency and you will share in an abundance of good works. Now look, he's not done. That would be awesome, but that's not, that's not where he stops. He who supplies, verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. It's crazy talk, I love this stuff. You're not saying, I'm gonna give you more so you can have more, so you can have a better lifestyle so people will think you're blessed. No, he's saying this, I will continue to supply exactly what you need for the generosity that I have made you for. Do you see what he just said there? I already know what I've created you for and what good works I've prepared in advance for you to do. That's Ephesians 2.10. So I will provide for you exactly the resources you need to be generous with. And when you're generous with them, as I have commanded you, what I will reap in you and around you is a harvest of what? Righteousness. So look what he's saying you want to be safe internally and guard the gospel in your soul, you want to see the kingdom of God expand, I will reap a harvest of righteousness in you and around you through what? Your willing, fearless generosity. What a powerful and incredible thing. Now, look what he says upside down. That's not the way I need to read. Okay, here we go. Take a look. Now, he's going to talk about the outward reality. For the ministry of of this service, that's generosity, because he's talking about generosity, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. So he says, your generosity is not just a means to an end to get money on a table so we can go do a vision, it's actually also impacting other thanksgivings that are going on. Watch, look what he says. He says this, by their approval of this service, there being the world around them and the expanded church, right, by their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel. So here's what he's saying. Your generosity is a confession of sorts, a confession of the gospel through your submission to trusting God with the stuff that the world thinks is yours because they think theirs is theirs, right? And when we do that, we authenticate the gospel to our own souls, a harvest of righteousness, and we authenticate the gospel to the world because let's be honest, especially in our culture, one of the greatest detriments to the gospel is that the church looks nothing like they're supposed to. So the world looks in at the church and on Sundays we come here and we sing about Jesus being enough and being more and being, being better and Monday we're anxious about the same stuff that everybody else is on the planet that don't know Jesus. And Tuesday we're chasing after the same stuff and Wednesday we're hoarding the same stuff and Thursday we're dealing with the same selfishness. And so here's the thing, we don't look that different. So the world goes, that gospel they talk about, if it helps them and it makes them feel better, great, but it's not really real. And what Paul says is when our lives are radical and our generosity is fearless, then it authenticates what we say we have discovered as true because it shows that we actually believe that God is enough and He is our supplier. It has a massive impact on our missional lives, this reality of the gospel. It guards internally the gospel by shouting at our own souls, hey. Don't forget, your stuff's not your provision, God is. And it guards the gospel externally because it provides actual hardcore resources on the ground for real stuff, but also results in the thanksgiving of the world because they see the authenticity of our faith. The power of generosity is extraordinary. This is how God set it up, right? He rescues a people for himself. We know that as the church, the bride of Christ, the the body of Christ. He calls those people into a space in his presence and devotion where he protects us. He guards us. He's present with us. He calls us and invites us into radical lives where we're redemptive on His behalf, going into hard places where nobody else wants to go, uh, where we lay down ourselves for the sake of redemption, and then He invites us into fearless generosity so that we can participate in the provision and facilitation of redemption through the body of Christ. And then the church becomes beautiful and powerful and becomes the force He said we would be, which is the force that storms the gates of hell on this planet, goes into hard places, and rescues people. And that's beautiful. But here's what happens. The church stops doing her job, right? She stops. She gets so caught up in trying to keep the lights on and building bigger buildings and competing with the church down the road and saying, let's be better than them. And they got cool lights, so we got to get cooler lights. And, and, then they, and, we, and then it starts rolling. And it's not meant evilly in some evil way. It's just what we also get caught up in as the church oftentimes. We forget that we're supposed to be equipping the saints through the work of the gospel and then actually changing the world and Taking on hard things, and we forget that we're supposed to be discipling, and we get caught up in this, then we start bickering about the color of the carpets, and what seats mine, and where my tag is on that wall, it's my wall, and, and that starts happening, and then a generation from now, we're ticked if they kill the organ, and, 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 and it all goes awry, and then when people come to the church, and, and they have resources, and God goes, be generous for the sake of the poor to change the world, and they look at the church, and they go, she's not doing it, now they're in a dilemma, Right? Well, am I supposed to give it to the church even though she's not doing it at all? Or am I supposed to keep it? And if I keep it, then I'm not guarding my heart well and then I'm all scared. And So who do I give it? Well, this Kemper's this Crusade or Young Life or, or some uh, thing in the city that's doing good work, I'll go give it to them. And I don't blame you because the church oftentimes misses the boat. And then on an even more horrid scale, the church actually, real people that are using the church for their real stuff, they actually mishandle money and mishandle funds and take stuff and have massive salaries and give themselves whatever they want and tell everyone it's cool. And then it gets really ugly. And then you kind of go, huh. Now, I'm going to tell you something, just so you know, as far as your tithes and offerings go... I have searched the scriptures to see how God commands us to give our offerings and tithes to the church and not to all this other stuff, even though the church isn't doing our job. And I want to tell you, it's not in there. It's not in here. There is no command that you're supposed to give your tithes to the church first and then to everything else. So just so you know, yes, I just said it. You're like, you did not say that. I did say it. Yes. I asked God to show me where it was and he showed me it wasn't there. So I'm just here to tell you what he told me. But here's the deal. Here's also what's true. So though giving, to more than just the church is perfectly appropriate and in fact should expand in our generosity. What happens is that the story God intended to take his bride and his body, make her a powerful force of redemption through the radical lives of the people that call themselves the church, and then invite those people to fearlessly, radically be generous to facilitate that work, making both the church beautiful and redeeming the world. That was his plan. That's the best plan. When that plan is happening, then God doesn't have to command us to give to the church, does he? Because where else could you give resources to a movement that is not just going to be laser focused on one passion in your heart, but is going to allow you to participate in a number of good works across the board? The only place that that's truly able is in a church that's actually doing what she's supposed to be doing, right? And then our expanded generosity is to a few passion points on the side, no doubt, The problem is that we haven't always done what we're supposed to as the global church, which is why we're so passionate here to make sure that as we invite people into radical lives and then into fearless generosity, that we as a leadership here can say to those people, we are inviting you into a story because we believe there is no better story where you can share in good works more effectively across the board in your passion points and beyond than here. When I first planted Mosaic Church with my wife, it was 14 years ago, we planted 13 years ago, 14 years ago we had this vision. to to see a church born that uh, created space for authentic gospel encounters, to have anyone have an authentic experience of God, then in that transformation, to equip those people to dare to believe the gospel and live radically, to walk into a dead and dying world and be redemptive because we believed we were ambassadors of Christ, then to actually walk into our world locally and globally and make change, tangible, real, actual change that we can point to change, change and some change and then to reproduce that story so that more and more people were doing it that's what we wanted to do we shared that 14 years ago with a group of people in California and a group of people in Virginia because those are the only people we knew and in Virginia when we flew, I flew out there to share this vision with him it was because the vision was going to cost some money we needed $30,000 for that first year that was our annual budget we needed to make something happen so I was hoping that I would be able to get some of that and so I'm in a meeting And my mom brings this woman, Penny, uh, to the meeting. I don't know why she brought her. She worked with her. I didn't know Penny at the time. She was a friend of my mom's. So she comes to the meeting because I'd said to my parents, because those are about the only people I knew, if you know anyone, could you bring them? And so they brought Penny. (laughs) I shared the gospel and this vision. We had these little cards at at the back end that people filled out for a two-year or three-year commitment to the story because us human beings, you know you, you know me, I'll say to you all day long, I'm going to be generous for two years, but wait till Monday. Then it'll all stop, right? Or at least next Monday. And so we fill out little cards so that we kind of tell each other, uh, this is what I've said. That's why whenever I'm about to do something super crazy, I tell all of you. That way I can't get out of it, right? Because <laughs> by tomorrow I'll want out. But now I've told you, now I've got to go do it. So, um, so we had these little cards. So Penny filled out the card and she committed to $10 a month for the two years. That's two hundred and forty dollars over two years. Two hundred and forty dollars over two years. Ten dollars a month. So I mean, we were looking for thirty grand. Two hundred and forty dollars doesn't get us a huge step down the road, right? But it's something. So we were grateful. Like that's awesome. Someone's in. A couple other people jumped in as well. Penny jumped in. And that's what we had. Every month, faithfully, she sent that ten dollars. Never forgetting. Ten dollars in the Claremont uh, mailbox of the old Mosaic Church, and it would show up, and I would get that check. About a year and a half into the story we had managed to grow Mosaic from zero to about 70 people and then back down to 20. So we were back down to 20 people. All the people that were able to tithe left and all the people that were college students stayed. So it worked out really, really well for us, right? And so I'm a year and a half into the story and I'm realizing I'm probably not cut out for church planting, God somehow, I think I was supposed to take the job in San Diego at the other ministry because I did that well, but this church planting thing, I don't do this well. I've got two kids, and my wife is pregnant with a third, and we got 20 people in a church a year and a half in, and, and they're college students, and they don't make any money. Well, they work at Disney, which is even worse. They make less there than college students. And so, so I'm like, oh my gosh, here we are, Right? And so I really began to wrestle with whether this had been a wise decision and also wrestle with at what point do we close shop on this thing because it clearly didn't work. And I remember going to the post office one day and I opened that little mailbox and there was the check from Penny and I opened it up and I remember my first thought was, God, I can't even go to coffee with two people with this check of $10. This is exactly why it's never going to work because I can't seem to inspire anyone to do anything other than send $10 a month. And almost in an audible voice, God doesn't do this to me often, but he did it to me in that post office. I'll never forget. I've never gone back there since. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) It's a joke. It just came to me in a moment, okay? God spoke almost audibly to me, and he said this to me. Renaud, when you told Penny the vision that I gave you, Penny believed that that was true because it was true because I told you. And as long as she keeps sending that check and believing in your vision, you keep plugging away until it's realized. So get back out there and go do it. So I walked out of that post office and I said, all right, God, uh, if there's 20 people and, and not, I'll just keep plugging away because, you know, clearly I figured out I am no good at this. And it was then from that process that after the next year, we struggled away through that. It didn't like the next week. There's no video about 500 people showed up and no, 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 another year of hard. But every month that check would show up and God would remind me, keep going. So $240 invested into the story. So uh, this week, out of curiosity, I asked Terry Jeter, who's our pastor of finances here, handles our money unbelievably well. I said to Terry, can you go back 13 years, uh, do, a quick, do, do a quick run of our finances, and tell me exactly how much we've spent in this church on equipping the saints, on changing the world, and on reproducing the story. In other words, what's it taken over, fi- over 13 years to, to actually do the ministry we've done? And he got back to me, $15 million dollars. million over 13 years have been spent on changing the world. And that's what we have spent internally as an organization out of the generosity that's come from people inspired to be part of the story, right? We also happen to know that through adoption, foster care, and safe families alone, You all have spent more than $5 million in that time in affecting those worlds that didn't flow through this place. In other words, that's an additional $5 million over the 15 that just you all spent. And that doesn't include any one of you that might have come to Jesus here or might have been inspired to live redemptively here and now give to some other organization that's changing the world because you were inspired here. We haven't calculated that because I don't know what you give in all those areas. So we're looking at over $20 million spent on world change, which has effectively brought fresh water to Oxum, Ethiopia, brought medical care to that place, effectively changed lives there, gotten street orphans off the street into homes. It's caused 120 children to be adopted into forever families in this church. It has an amazing amount of children through safe family and foster care taken care of here. It has produced a special needs world for those struggling with special needs. It has effectively created 17 global partners in 15 countries around the world working today to affect poverty and widows and orphans and and church planting. We have seen churches planted as a result of this place over the last 13 years. And I get to go to Penny. And I get to say to Penny, I I don't think you got a bonus check a month after you started tithing. I I don't think you got the job you wanted. In fact, I know she didn't. Her suffering got worse. You know what turns out? Turns out Penny couldn't afford $10 a month. Turns out I didn't know at that time that because I think her husband had lost his job and she was working, they couldn't pay the bills. But Penny said, I want in on this story. So $10 a month for two years when she couldn't afford it. And I get to say to Penny what Paul said about the Macedonians. In a time of great affliction and poverty, a wealth of generosity was born. And your wealth of generosity has produced a harvest of righteousness and an abundance of good works that are yours, Penny. See, she shares in every one of them. Every single good work that has taken place from the day she started sending a $10 check is hers. She gets to have them. She gets to stand next to us in heaven going, those are mine. $240, that's what I put in. 20 million, that's what I got out. And 20 million's just the start because we just told you the next two years we're spending 10 more, right? So that's gonna be 30. And then the next decade after that, it's going to be hundreds. And when thousands of children are are adopted and cities around the the world are shaped because of our story, and many of you are locally and globally engaged in mission, and money is moving at massive rates to change the world, Penny continues to share in that story. And so I look at our lives and I ask the question, two years from now, ten years from now, when we're telling the story again, what is it going to be for us? What are we going to get to say we invested fearlessly into the story, not manipulatively, not to get something from God, but just said, like the Macedonians did, please, I beg you earnestly, do not let me miss out on caring for the saints in the story and changing the world. If 100% of us do that, do you see now why I said last week, I cannot wait to see what happens when we all fearlessly engage in generosity over these next two years, what will God do with us then? I'm telling you, we cannot imagine yet, but we will because we're gonna go and do it. There are some people in this church that are pennies today, just regular people in regular spaces doing regular stuff. And I just want you to briefly hear a little bit of their story. These are a few of them, there's many of you. Listen to this, these are people currently investing that are sharing in the story. And look where it's taken them. Watch.
1: From the very first day we walked through the doors of Mosaic Church, uh, we had this this sense and this uh, that God was alive in our life. And and from that day, it's been just amazing transformation. I think the biggest changes for me spiritually ever since coming to Mosaic has been more about letting go of what I own and what I have. We went to small groups, and they um, started talking about giving. My leader told me all about it, and I got inspired to give.
2: A few years after we uh, came to the United States, uh, the company, the Life Wealth Group, was was birthed, and it was birthed on the foundations that uh, we were passionate about letting our clients become the best stewards they could be not just with their wealth, but with their lives. We use an acronym called LIFE, using your labor, your influence, your finance and your expertise uh, to the glory of God. Uh, We really encourage our clients to dream about passions that God has for people and to ignite those passions in in their own hearts. And often it just starts by asking the question, God, who do you want me to cry for? And as people find that uh, passion, then giving is so much easier it's so much more fulfilling and when you tap into that it's not so much about just being obedient it's really it comes alive you meet the people that you're touching through your giving and uh, it's contagious.
1: I I struggle a lot with materialism and wanting stuff or seeing the latest and coolest gadgets or trends or uh, fashion and saying I want that and I, I need that. Over the past three years I have seen the Mosaic at Walt Disney World campus, grow exponentially in the same manner as what was called out in Acts 2. The believers came together, and they sold everything that they had, and used the money and resources to help each other out. If anybody was in need, they would be able to help them out in a way. And that's what I see as true community. And the Walt Disney World campus does a great job in exemplifying what that looks like. As I became more integrated with Mosaic here, you know, my ups and downs prior kind of leveled off, and I really saw the benefit of, of giving. And I think, you know, Renault often says, says it best when he talks about how it protects your heart and it changes your view of money. And it's so true, I've seen that play out in my life every, every week, you know, when the money just comes out. Um, I, I don't even really think about it because it, you do feel, you feel a different type of security and safety knowing that your money belongs to God and it doesn't it doesn't belong to you in the first place
2: it really is amazing I mean every every step of the way from from the moment I was thinking that I want to change my job situation and not travel to the uh, to the realization that I'm going to get a severance package out of this rather than just give my two weeks notice and leave that Mosaic now is is moving forward with this with this get loud initiative and we're looking at ways to have an impact in our community I think about this the timing piece a lot and I almost don't I hesitate to talk aloud about it because I, I feel like I'm, am I crazy? Am I nuts? I mean, this is this is like a, an actual miracle that's happening. I'm going to tell people about this and they're going to pat me on the head saying, yeah, yeah, Hap, whatever, but it, it's just something that is so amazing. About a year and a half ago, myself and
1: uh, three people from Mosaic Church started Mosaic Capital. We started the company really to impact, to impact the world, impact those less fortunate, to impact finances, and, and that's what our company was formed off of. And God's already doing that. God's already showing that. And really, there is a goal ultimately to build multiple corporations in and around through partnerships globally that, that are all kingdom-driven organizations. I asked where the giving boxes, and I went outside with my purse, and I put some money in there. It feels good. Because I know that giving that money could help the church and the person that really needs it. And I'd rather give it to people or the church that need that money instead of go buy a toy that I don't even need. I'm Marcy, and I'm changing the world by giving more to Mosaic than I ever have before to support its next big adventure.
2: We are Hilgard Janice Lamprecht, and we are changing the world by influencing stewards to be the best stewards they can be to maximize their life wealth for the glory of God. We are Happen Leslie Aziz, and we are changing the world by following Jesus' example of unexpected generosity. My
1: name is Joe, and I'm changing the world through business. My name is Michael Quo, and I'm changing the world by giving fearlessly. I'm Sophia Villegas, and I'm changing the world by
0: giving. Woo! Can you even imagine what it's gonna be like to talk to Sophie one day when she's a young adult and say this is what you've been part of for the last decade and a half? Whatever, whatever she invested, how that's translated? Or listening to happen Uh, Leslie, talk about this this infusion of a severance package that they could increase their lifestyle with, but asking God, gosh, what would it look like if we sowed that into good works across the board through this endeavor? There's just so many stories that are yet waiting to be realized as we are invited to participate in them with our fearless generosity. Radical living and fearless giving, when they are brought together in the community of God, change the world. And we, you and me, in all of our dysfunction, are invited by God to be part of that with the lives we have and the resources we've been given. What a foolish thing it would be if we missed that opportunity. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your grace and mercy in our lives that you have shown us already that all of our security, all of our future rests in our redeemed future and our rescued soul. And that this planet is a space in which we get to participate in your story of redemption by being ambassadors of redemption with our lives and with our resources. God, remind us this day that generosity is not our burden. It is not our obligation. It is our gift. And that we get to participate in it, not out of law, but out of invitation. May we be wise enough, all of us, to step into fearless generosity in the weeks, months, and years to come to participate in the abundance of good works and the harvest of righteousness that you will birth in
2: us, through us, and around us. We love you, Jesus. Amen.